Welcome everyone to this week's episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm your host, Aaron White, and excited to bring you new reviews as well as our 2021 Seattle Film Critics Society Award winners. If you're interested in following me and interacting on social channels, you can always find me on Twitter at Film. That's where I'm the most active, but there are a lot of other links in the show notes. I'm always down to chat and happy to be your friend. Here on FF Plus, the format's pretty straightforward for reviews. I'll talk about what I liked of each movie, and then we'll talk about what I didn't. And then I'll give you a recommendation about whether I think a film is worth your time and money. That's it. Simple, short, and spoiler-free. First up on the agenda today is revealing the 2021 Seattle Film Critics Society Award winners. These were announced yesterday, Monday, January the 17th, so depending on when you're listening to this, you may have already seen them online, but I wanted to go over them and also share what I personally voted for in each category compared to what ultimately took the victory. So we're going to start, I think, with a couple of our unique categories, and that is with Villain of the Year. The winner was Phil Burbank in The Power of the Dog, as portrayed by Benedict Cumberbatch. My personal vote went to Zhu Wenwu from Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, as portrayed by Tony Leung. I'm, I guess, okay with this winner. The Power of the Dog, I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler, does not clean up in our awards, surprisingly. And so for this to be one of the few that it won, I am okay with that. This is definitely a villainous performance, and it's not in the normal, over-the-top kind of traditional way, so it's worth awarding, and I think it's a a valid one. In our Best Youth Performance category, the winner was Amelia Jones in CODA, and my vote was the same, so one for me. Maybe we'll keep track of that and see how many I got correct, or how many of my winners were chosen, we should say. For Best Visual Effects, the winner was Dune. Paul Lambert, Tristan Miles, Brain Connor, Gerd Nefser. My answer was the same. In Best Production Design, the winner was The Green Knight for Jade Healy and Ginny Oman. My answer, my vote, I should say, actually went to Dune on this one, but there are quite a few of these categories where, to be honest, I voted The Green Knight in everything I possibly could, And The Green Knight, Dune, and Coda, in that order, are my three favorite films of the year. So anytime those three movies win, I'm considering it a victory for myself, whether I voted for it or not. So awesome that breast production design goes to The Green Knight. I think it's absolutely worthy, even though I did vote for Dune on that one. For best original score, the winner was Hans Zimmer for Dune. I actually voted for Daniel Hart and The Green Knight, mainly because I expected Hans Zimmer to win in a landslide, and my vote didn't even matter because I was correct. Awesome, awesome score by Zimmer, of course. Probably my favorite composer ever. Can't argue with this one bit. Best film editing went to Joe Walker for Dune. My vote was the same. Best costume design went to Malgosia Terzanska for The Green Knight. My vote was the same, and I have sung its praises many times on this podcast where I've talked about how in the special features they show us that all the costumes were vegan, and it is just an absolutely fascinating featurette. I cannot plug it enough. Please 
go watch that if you have the Green Knight on disc. It will blow your mind to see what they did with the costumes in this movie. It's very unique and super glad that we are awarding it. So looks like most of the technical categories all went to Dune. Actually, did they all go? They all went to Dune and the Green Knight. I could not be more pleased. That is amazing. For best film not in the English language, our winner was Drive My Car. My vote had gone to Flea. For best animated feature, the winner was Flea. Yes, and my vote was the same. So that is exciting. I was not sure that we were going to pull that off. I would have been okay with the Mitchells versus the Machines, but that's the more normal pick. And I think awarding Flea here says a lot. And I'm really, really proud of us for pulling through and showing this incredible, incredible film. My number four of the year, probably, if I was going to put a number on it. It's just a staggering work of art and a unique way in which to convey this very personal documentary story. And I think it is powerful and so awesome that we gave it this award. I'm hoping that the Oscars can follow suit. For Best Screenplay, we awarded that to Drive My Car, Ryosuke Hamaguchi, and Takamasa Oi. Uh, I voted for David Lowry and The Green Knight. In our other unique categories, we have Best Action Choreography. That went to In the Heights, which also was the same as my vote. We uh, had In the Heights in this category, and we decided to allow musicals because action is movement and it doesn't have to be defined as just strictly stunt work or martial arts type fighting. I think letting dancing come into this category is a really cool and unique thing and In the Heights had the best for me musical numbers of the year so super glad that we gave this an award the other one we have that I guess is not necessarily unique to us, but it is one that we like to do, and that's Best Ensemble Cast. We gave that award to Mass, and my vote was also for Mass in that category. For Best Actress in a Supporting Role, our winner was Ariana DeBose in West Side Story. She probably was my number two, very strong number two. I ultimately voted for Ruth Nega in passing, however, and would have really liked to see her get this award, but I can't argue with Ariana DeBose at all. For Best Actor in a Supporting Role, we awarded that to Cody Smith-McPhee in The Power of the Dog. Definitely not what my vote went to. My vote went to Troy Kotsur and Coda, and I don't like this one. It's one of the ones that I am more annoyed by than anything. I had quite a few supporting actors and Cody Smith-McPhee was nowhere on my list. I'm not saying it's a bad performance. I'm not going to knock him whatsoever. I think everything that gets nominated is, is worthy, of course. And I just would have much preferred we give it to a different actor. But so be it. Best Actress in a Leading Role, we awarded to Kristen Stewart for Spencer. That's awesome. My vote went to Lady Gaga and House of Gucci. I've been on... Her hype train ever since she started acting with A Star is Born and now House of Gucci. I think both of those were Oscar worthy. But if we were going to have a second here, I am so, so excited to have us give that to K-Stu. Most folks know I'm a huge fan, have a big crush on her, uh, both as an actress and just as a, a gorgeous, amazing woman. And I think that 
this is great. And I really do hope that her momentum has not been stunted and that the Academy Awards will continue to recognize the greatness that is this performance in Spencer. In our last acting category, Best Actor in a Leading Role, we gave that to Nicolas Cage in Pig. My vote went to Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boo. This is, you know, I, I get it. I think it's a good performance. I'm not nearly as high on Pig as many folks were, and I think maybe this is a little bit of a silly pick in a way. I think perhaps we have such a fandom for Nicolas Cage and his craziness in general that the moment he does anything semi-dramatic, we overinflate how good it is just because we want to give him an award and we've never really had that opportunity before. Listen, it's not a bad performance. I just think it's vastly inferior to all five of my personal nominees and probably a lot more. But whatever, there are very few that I can nitpick in this entire set of awards. So is what it is. For our best director, we give that to Ryosuke Hamaguchi for Drive My Car. My vote went to David Lowry and The Green Knight. And for Best Picture of the Year, we also give that to, you probably figured this out, Drive My Car, following suit with many critics groups so far across the land. My vote went to, you know, The Green Knight. Multiple winners this year were Drive My Car, the big winner, with the two biggest awards and four total. Dune and The Green Knight both had three total awards, which are excellent, makes me very happy. The Power of the Dog only had two winners, despite having the most nominations, 11 noms and only two wins. That was surprising and also made me very happy because I'm not a fan of that movie. So I really like what we did overall. Ultimately, I got eight correct out of, I didn't write down the number, I think we might have like 16, maybe 20 categories. Did pretty fairly well. I got a lot of the films and the the winners that I chose through and, you know, can't have a lot of complaints with the overall here. I think we did a good job. I'm really, really proud of the diversity of films that we have in our mix here, our unique categories and the way that that sets us apart. And it's been an awesome year of movies. I'm super excited to be moving on now to 2022 and finding out what's going to be the next best picture but 2021 was great, and I hope that everyone enjoyed following along. Hope you will be doing so this next year as well. Now for the first review in this episode, the film is Munich, The Edge of War, put out by Netflix. This stars Jeremy Irons, George McKay, Giannis Neuwarner, Sandra Guler, Liv Lisa Fries, August Deal, Jessica Brown Finlay, Anjali Mohindra, and Ulrich Mathis. It is directed by Christian Schwauchow, written by Ben Power, and based on Robert Harris's novel of the same name. What's it about? In the autumn of 1938, civil servant Hugh Lagat accompanies British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain to Munich in a desperate bid to broker peace with German leader Adolf Hitler. Once there, Lagat encounters his old friend Paul von Hartmann, a German diplomat who has in his possession a document signaling Hitler's true intent a war across Europe. Amid frantic negotiations at the Munich conference, Hugh and Paul conspire to prevent a terrifying conflict. Well, what did I like? You know what? I liked a lot about this movie. I think that it's pretty impressive overall when it comes to its 
high quality standards in practically every area. It's got very solid acting. George McKay is a favorite of mine. I think he puts in good work here. The arguable star of the movie, however, is Giannis Neuner as ex- excellent turn as Paul von Hartmann, who is the German, who is the diplomat that is actually doing this treason against Hitler. I think that he shoulders much of the emotional and stress load uh, that has to go on during this betrayal, and you really feel it. But both he and George bring it, and their scenes together are extremely, extremely great. Jeremy Irons also in the movie as Neville Chamberlain. He's fine. I mean, you'll actually be surprised at how little he's there. He's not the star of this movie, despite having the biggest name in it and being the first build. Not by any means. I really like the familial and the friendship drama that plays out over the course of this film. It's addressing things that I think are very realistic and that would play a role in the difficult psychological undertaking of a mission that is this dangerous and secretive, this act of treason that is being conducted. The tension's pretty good throughout. The stakes are extremely high, and you can certainly feel that. And ultimately, it explodes into, ramps up rather, I guess, and then explodes into this third act that is very much a heart-racing political thriller. kind of wish it was like that the whole way, but it was a great way to end the film. The movie looks very good. It's got bright cinematography. There are some really good framing shots. A couple in particular that I liked cinematography-wise were one moment where Paul von Hartmann is meeting Hitler for the first time on a train, and we see Hitler in the center of the frame as if we were in the POV of Hartmann. And it's intimidating, and there's this slightest sway to the camera that is indicating the train that is sort of moving side to side a little bit as it's, you know, going down the tracks, and you can kind of, you're in his POV, and you feel his body moving and swaying, and it just really was immersive, and I thought a beautiful shot. And then there's some top-down shots in the film. Uh, from the top of this grand, gigantic hall where Hitler and his entourage are ascending a staircase. And it, it just some really, really good photography, I think, overall. The period piece production design also extremely solid. The score works. It's nothing that stands out. There's a lot that's good about it. And, and the story is, it's what the story is, right? It's about trying to stop Hitler, trying to save lives and not allow this war to happen. There's a quote early in the film from Neville Chamberlain, uh, the British Prime Minister, in case you missed that, where he says, as long as war has not begun, there is always hope that it may be prevented. And that's what this is about. It's about trying to stop a war before it takes place. And we all know what happened, ultimately, but seeing these men risk their lives and go for this is... A beautiful thing. For dislikes, it really boils down to this. The movie is just fun. There is absolutely nothing that stands out as memorable about this. It's perfectly watchable. It is of high quality. And yet, this is a plot that is so similar and so tangential to things we've seen numerous times before. And it doesn't make a mark. 
it doesn't do anything great. It just does everything good. And so I think maybe it would have benefited from a little bit of a tighter runtime, maybe keeping that tension higher throughout the film, a little tighter plotting. There's just a few too many slowdowns where my blood pressure had been raising and then it dips big time. And it just, I don't know. It's just something a little bit off. It's just good. It's a good movie. And I think it's worth watching. And so I don't have a lot to criticize other than to say, I'm probably going to forget it by tomorrow after I've seen it. And that's the case with a lot of movies. But you know me, I like to say most movies are good. Most movies are watchable and enjoyable. And this is just another that falls in that boat. So if you're making choices, you know, you could do a lot worse in January for a free movie on your streaming service that you're already paying for. It's worth checking out on a weekend, I think. The film is also, just so you know, not considered a foreign language film, but a large portion of it is in German with subtitles. And so I say that because if you're the kind of person who needs to plan ahead and make sure that you are sitting down at a time where your attention span can be ready to read subtitles, you need to do that when you plan to fire this one up. This will be available streaming on Netflix on January the 21st, and I definitely am feeling it. I say it's worth a watch at home. So, you know, go check it out. It's a great movie for the family on the weekend. I don't see anything in it that is particularly off-putting or adult in nature. And so, you know, it's got a little bit of a heavy material that it's dealing with, but it's handled really well. And uh, yeah, it's good. It's a good movie. It's a good, good Netflix movie worth checking out. The second film I have to review is called Sing a Bit of Harmony, coming from Funimation. It stars, and I'm going to read both cast listings. So the original voice cast is Tao Sushiaya, Haruka Fukuhara, Asuka Kudo, Kazuyuki Okutsu, Mikakaku Komatsu, and Satoshi Hino. The English dub cast, which is what I watched, is Megan Shipman, Risa May. Jordan Dash Cruz, Ian Sinclair, Alexis Tipton, and Common Casey. It is directed by Yashihiro Yoshiura, written by Yoshiura Ichirao Okuchi and Ichiro Okachi. What's it about? The story of the beautiful and mysterious Shion, who transfers to Keibu, Kaibu High School, where she quickly becomes popular for her open-hearted personality and exceptional athletic talent. But she turns out to be an AI in the testing phase. Shion's goal is to bring chronic loner Satami hat to happiness, but her strategy is something no human would expect. She serenades Satomi in the middle of the classroom. After finding out that Shion is an AI, Satomi and her childhood friend, engineering geek Toma, steadily warm up to the new student. Along with the popular and attractive Gochan, the strong-willed Aya, and judo club member Thunder, they become more and more moved by Shion's singing voice and earnestness even as her antics bewilder them. But what Shion does for Satomi's sake ends up involving them all in some serious pandemonium. What did I like about this? Listen, this movie's very weird. It's weird. It's funny. It's out there. It throws a ton of different things into the mix. There's a lot of genre that is happening in this film. There's drama. There's musical. There's comedy. There's sci-fi. It's even got some suspenseful action set pieces. I kind of dug it. I laughed a ton out loud even. And some of it was genuine. Some of it was sort of rolling my eyes at the movie at times. It's just 
something you kind of have to see to really understand. And I, I do think it's very anime. And I say that because the way in which characters are exaggerated in their personalities is something that is a normal type of action in anime films. And you just, you're going to get a lot of that here. And so you have to be prepared for that. The singing in the movie is a mixed bag. I, I like the reason that Shion sings. I think it ultimately comes together. And there's a really big set piece at one point that is incredibly impactful that you know has to do with the singing. And I think it makes it worthwhile because of how her singing ends up drawing this group of friends together and changing the way everyone views the world around them. So it's a cute way of handling a story that kind of deals with people's regrets and helps them learn to address things maturely and healthily. There's some realistic dialogue in this, some great script writing. It feels very modern and of the time. There is a subplot as well about the fact that the mom in this film, Zatomi's mom, who created the robot, is being undermined and sabotaged by her male co-workers, one of which who is not even anywhere close to being on her level as far as intelligence goes. And it's a bit forced in there, but I really like that in general being put in because this is reality, that we live in a world that is frequently dealing with women and creators of of that gender who are pushed down, whether it's in a video game industry or whether it's in Hollywood, but we, it could be anywhere, even in corporate America, but it just everywhere we are still struggling with this long time kind of suppression of women as leaders and as being worthy uh, as men and men taking credit for things that women have done. And so I like that it kind of puts that into this movie, into this world. I also like that they are on a tech-infused school campus and that they're not very surprised about the AI as they're starting to deal with it. There are voice-activated items throughout the film. There's self-driving cars. There's robots that they can control via cell phone apps. And there's an AI that is running and managing the household in some way. So it's really interesting from a science perspective and sci-fi angle. And I like the characters. I thought that they had a ton of personality. Shion causes all kinds of chaos. And it's just hijinks and fun and sweet. There are a couple of really hilarious scenes of judo happening between human and robot that cracked me up big time. So I would just say I like this a lot more than I didn't. I had a lot of fun watching it. On the dislike side, I love musicals. But there is, despite me coming around to it and saying, I think I understand the reason and why it becomes worthwhile for her to have sung in the film from a plot perspective, I don't think it makes sense in the moment. When the robot just starts breaking out into song, it's kind of awkward. It's out of nowhere. Yes, it brings people together and makes them happy. It's fun, but it's very strange. And... I don't think that the film has a musical feel to it. It doesn't 
progress from musical number to musical number. It just kind of happens. All of a sudden, there's an explosion of random song in the middle of nowhere, and then we move on and we forget that it's a musical for a long period of time. So it was just strange. The music is also pre-recorded, it feels, and so it seems like super duper highly produced comparative to the ongoing dialogue in the film. It just doesn't match up. You know, it's like a normal person singing and then all of a sudden like a studio track. And if you can tell, it doesn't feel natural. Like the person, like the character actually just started singing right there in person. And that threw me off. There are definitely these cute and cheesy big musical moments, but they also had a tendency to make me cringe at times. And you just can't get away from it. The movie is, like I said, a mixed bag. It's got these great, hilarious moments, but also some that just you can't help but be like, why? Why are we pushing this far there is a major dramatic tonal shift specifically at one point that sort of stops the film in its tracks for a while. It's going on at this really kind of upbeat, energetic pace. And then it's just like, wham, heavy moment. And everything kind of slows down. And then it goes off the rails. And there's sci-fi craziness. And it just tries to deliver big surprise after big surprise after big surprise. And by the end, it just felt like I was so confused. My brain was scrambled. It's nuts, and it even has a questionable finale that kind of seems like it's pro-AI being a normal part of our life, and I think that's a little creepy, honestly. I'm not sure how it sat with me. It kind of came off strange. So I think overall, when this film hits theaters on January 23rd, it is worth seeing. If you are an anime film fan, it's a good one. It is highly, highly entertaining movie. I don't think it's great. I can't figure out anything about it that makes it stand out to me amongst my favorite anime films I've ever seen. There's nothing deeply emotionally connective for me, and there's no other element that is so well done that it puts it over the top. It's just worth a good watch. So it's a lot like Munich, The Edge of War. Honestly, these two films kind of fall in that same category this one of course as i mentioned being in theaters you're gonna have to pay to see it i think that if you are a fan of this kind of stuff that you will be finding that worth your money if you're not then maybe you just wait until it's funimation and watch it when it's available on streaming but i definitely think it is worth seeing either way well that's it this week on ff plus as always i hope you found something that piques your interest a movie that you want to check out and i would love to hear from you when you do that you can find me on Twitter at Feelin' Film. You can find me on Letterboxd at Aaron L. White. Links to all of these are in the show notes as always. You can come join the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group where like-minded cinephiles and blockbuster fans come together to chat about movies all day, every day. We would love that. Regardless, I'll be back soon, of course. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling film.